This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is Steve from the Haunted UK podcast. The following episode has already been released to coffee subscribers, but I wanted to release this today for everyone so that we can begin the run-up to the spooky season that is Halloween. But I also wanted to say a huge thank you to each and every single one of you who have stuck by not only the show, but me over the last four weeks whilst I've been away. Your support and kind messages have really helped, and I just want to say a huge heartfelt thank you. But now, I think it's time that we get back to business. So get ready for a haunted UK podcast packed month of October, as we finally drop the last three Listener Stories episodes of Season 4, and also a short haunt. So stay tuned. So, grab something to drink, dim those lights, and get comfortable. But if you're in a car, alone, just make sure to lock those doors. Especially if it's dark. Because you never know who, or what, could be trying to get in, right now. Enjoy. This story was sent in by an amazing listener who has given me permission to use it for this special episode. So many thanks to you, Jason. This is a series of events that took place in 1996 in a city in the north of England. Jason has asked me to use this name instead of his real name, and to also change any other names and locations mentioned due to his profession. Jason's story is as follows, and this really is very creepy. Back in 1996, the whole of England was buzzing with excitement due to us being awarded football's European Championships. If you're old enough to remember, Paul Gascoigne scored a wonder goal against Scotland, the Dutch took a hammering, and Gareth Southgate's penalty miss against Germany in the semi-finals went down in history and sent us out at the last but one hurdle. At this time, I was an estate agent working for one of the more popular companies, and I really loved my job. I got a real buzz from showing off a house to potential buyers and then helping to secure the sale. It's always been a great feeling to marry up a house to a family. Some of the best memories of our lives are made in our homes. I'd also been seeing my girlfriend Becky, who's now my wife, for around two and a half years, and we were also getting ready to finally take the plunge and buy our own first house together. She still lived with her parents while I was in a two-bedroom flat, but it was becoming a more and more regular occurrence that she would stay over, and it was clear that moving in together was going to be our next step. Now back in 1996, 
ghost hunts and paranormal investigations as tourist attractions were nowhere near as big as they are now. But Becky and a few of her close friends would regularly visit allegedly haunted locations. She found it a fascinating subject, and at least one evening every month, they would meet up and go off to some abandoned building or old cemetery. She always wanted me to tag along, and even though I wasn't a real believer in the paranormal, I was still curious as to what they got up to. So a few days before another planned trip out, I agreed to go. The destination was your typical old cemetery with a small but beautiful church, surrounded by the graves of people who had passed away as far back as 1865. Well, that's the oldest gravestone that I could read that hadn't been worn away over time. After around an hour of walking, sitting down, trying to get in contact with any spirits that may or may not be wandering around, it was suggested that we all split up and investigate various areas of the cemetery. There were seven of us in total, and while the area covered quite a lot of ground, it wasn't as if we'd lose sight of each other completely. Some of the group took crystals with them and one even had an actual crystal ball, but I just wanted to stroll around to see if anything would happen. It was now around 10.45pm and very dark. There weren't many streetlights around as this cemetery was a little isolated and the days of switching your torch on on your mobile phone were still years away. So it was down to just getting used to the dark and letting your eyes get focused. I can remember it being a partially cloudy sky and the moon would help by giving a little light, but that was about all. I began walking down one of the many narrow pathways with graves bordering each side and as I looked around I could see two other members of our group not too far away. As I made my way down the path my foot caught something and dragged it along the ground. I knelt down and found a silver cross lying on the floor. It was around three inches long and two inches wide and had a number of coloured stones that were set into it. They weren't precious stones by any means, but the item as a piece of jewellery was beautiful. On closer inspection, I found that it must have been worn with some sort of chain as there was a broken loop at the top. Shame, I thought. I looked around at the graves in the immediate area to see if any of them had been visited lately so that I could return the cross to its rightful place, but they were all very old, overgrown and in very poor condition. So where did this thing come from? Maybe someone had dropped it while they were visiting and didn't realise they'd lost it. A daft feeling came over me that made me think that it was wrong just to leave it there, so I put it in my pocket and continued down the pathway that I was on. After around another 25 minutes, we all met up again and all agreed to call it a night and go home. Nothing spooky was going to happen tonight. Myself, Becky and her friend Vicky all got into my car whilst the others got into another car and we all drove away. Becky had said that she was going to stay at Vicky's that night, so I dropped them both off and then carried on home. I'd decided not to mention the cross I'd found just in case one of the group found it morbid that I'd taken something from a cemetery. I couldn't see any evidence that it belonged to any of the graves where I'd found it, so what was the problem? I got home just before midnight and pretty much went straight to bed. I was going to meet Becky in town the following morning and we were going to have a hunt around for some shops for some bits and pieces for our new house. 
even though we hadn't viewed one yet. But we loved looking around and seeing what we could pick up. I woke up in the morning at around 7 and sat up in bed and noticed the silver cross on my bedside cupboard next to my alarm clock. Weird, I thought. I could have sworn it was still in my pocket when I went to bed. Probably forgot that I'd put it there. I got up, got changed and tied it up. I watched a bit of TV and started to get ready to go out when that feeling came over me again. I had the compulsion to pick the cross up and take it with me. I went back into the bedroom, picked it up, looked at it for a few seconds. Why was I so attracted to this thing? I put it in my inside jacket pocket and left the flat to meet Becky. The weekend passed quickly, as is always the case, and it was back to work on Monday morning as per usual. I had a good amount of appointments for property viewings throughout the week and was feeling upbeat and positive. But that was until a 1pm viewing at a three-bedroom semi-detached property around 10 minutes drive from the office. I opened up the house at around 12.45 and had a walk around to check everything was in order. It was a property that had been put on the market due to a messy divorce. I'd only been dealing with the wife of the relationship. The husband, as I was told by her, was only interested in getting his share of the house sale and shacking up with his mistress. The house was in lovely condition inside and out. And after I'd had a look around upstairs, I made my way into the kitchen. Just out of curiosity, I started opening some of the cupboards just to see if anything had been left inside them. And this is one of the many times in this story that you'll probably all sit there and think, there's no way that happened. But I assure you that it did. And I still don't have any other explanations other than something not of my understanding was going on here. I opened the door to one of the wall units to the left of the cooker. And sitting there, right in front of me, was the cross. A million things went through my mind, but I don't remember any of them. I just remember this horrible, cold feeling that something was badly wrong. How the hell did the cross get into that cupboard? Did I unconsciously put it there without realising it? Did I even bring it out with me that morning when I went to work? No, I was sure I didn't. But there it was. As I stood there, just staring at the cross, I had this overwhelming, terrifying feeling that there was somebody literally standing right behind me, staring at me. Goosebumps were all over me and every hair on my body was standing on end. All of this probably lasted just a matter of seconds, but it felt like a lifetime. And I was getting ready to turn around and meet the gaze of whoever or whatever was standing behind me. When the doorbell rang and I jumped with shock and spun around, there was nobody there. It was as if I'd been snapped out of a different dimension. The whole atmosphere in the house returned to normal in a split second. I turned back to grab the cross and close the cupboard door, but it was already closed. I opened it again and to my total astonishment and confusion, the cross wasn't there. What the hell was going on? I opened every cupboard, but that cross wasn't in any of them. Was I going mad? Was I seeing things? Did I imagine everything that had just happened? 
The doorbell rang again, and I quickly answered the door. It was obviously the people who'd come to view the house, so I began to show them round and tried to act as normal as possible. I got home after work and found Becky getting some food ready. She knew that there was something wrong, but I just put it down to the day being busy and a few things not exactly going to plan. I quickly went into the bedroom to get changed and check the drawer of my bedside cupboard, and there was the cross, where I knew I'd left it. We sat down to eat, watched some TV, and eventually went to bed. Fast forward a couple of weeks and things seemed to calm down. I even started to forget that the cross was still in my cupboard. But that's when the nightmares started. They were difficult to describe. I was always being chased by something and the dream always ended with me waking up just as I got to a set of gates and started to try and climb over to escape. I could feel hands pulling me back to the ground and that's when I'd wake up. But I recognised the place where I was being chased and I recognised the gates that I was always trying to climb over. They were the gates of the cemetery where I'd found the cross. Coincidence? Or was there something more going on? It was a few days later that an incident would take place that would convince me then, and still does now, that there are things in this world which we know very little about. A beautiful four-bedroom Victorian three-storey detached house had come onto the market in a very exclusive location. The owner was quite a well-known businessman in the area and mostly used the house as a holiday home when he and his family wanted to get away from London. They decided to sell the property and invest the money in a house they had in France and I decided to jump at the chance to try and get the best deal possible for them. The house was furnished and it was absolutely stunning. Every room had been beautifully decorated and every detail had been carefully thought through. Viewings were very slow at first, and no offers had been submitted at all. But I received a phone call from a couple, let's call them Jonathan and Melanie, who were incredibly keen on seeing the house as quickly as possible. An appointment was made for 9.30am the following day, but it would only be with Melanie, as Jonathan had work commitments and couldn't make it. Melanie even mentioned that they'd both driven past the house a number of times, and if the inside was as good as the outside they'd be putting in an offer. The following morning soon arrived and I went to the house with the keys at around 9am. I did my usual quick walk around and inspection and everything seemed perfect. Then I heard a knock at the door. As I walked to answer the door, I glanced at my watch and noticed that it was only just after 10 minutes past 9. Well, she's definitely keen to see the house, I thought. I opened the door and greeted Melanie with a warm smile and the offer of a handshake, but she simply said thank you and walked into the hall. No problem, I said to myself. She was dressed in a dark blue skirt, just above her knees, a white blouse with a matching dark blue jacket. I would have said that she was in her mid to late fifties, with greying light brown hair which was down to her shoulders. While her clothes looked a little dated, they looked very expensive and a brooch on her jacket looked like it was worth a small fortune. There wasn't much conversation at all which I thought was a little strange as she was very talkative on the phone the previous day and when I began to ask about family or work, she simply bypassed the question and asked to view specific rooms. Much of the viewing took place in an awkward silence 
Fair enough, I thought. Maybe something had happened at home and she wasn't in the best of moods. Happens to us all. When we got upstairs, I told her that I would leave her to take a look around on her own, and I would be in the hallway waiting for her when she'd finished. She just nodded with her back to me and said thank you. Her voice sounded a little different on the phone, but that could have been simply down to the phone speaker. I really didn't think too much about it at all. I just wanted to get the viewing over with, as it was becoming clear to me that this wasn't going as well as I thought it would. I could hear her walking around upstairs, and a few minutes later, I saw her coming downstairs, and she joined me in the hall. She did a very strange thing, which was to just stand by the front door, as if waiting for me to open it for her. I asked what she thought at the house, expecting some sort of feedback, but just got, I've seen enough, thank you. At which point I opened the door, and she began to walk across the drive. I closed the door, and went to walk back down the hallway towards the kitchen, when there was a knock at the front door. Maybe she'd forgotten something, or maybe she was going to put an offer in. I opened the door to see a woman in jeans and a black leather jacket with shoulder-length black hair. She looked in her forties and smiled straight at me and said, Sorry I'm running late, didn't realise the time. I'm Melanie, I saw you close the door. I did call out, but you probably didn't hear me. And then she held out her hand to offer a handshake. If this was Melanie, then who was just in the house with me? I shook her hand and asked if she'd just seen a woman on the drive as she arrived but she said there was nobody around. I told her she must have seen her, as she'd just left a matter of a few seconds before I'd just reopened the door. But Melanie was positive she hadn't seen anyone. She asked if I was okay, and I said yes, I'd just put it down to me losing track of time. She asked if this woman had had a look around the house, to which I said yes, but it wasn't an official appointment. She'd noticed the sign and saw my car on the drive, and asked if she could have a quick look around. I was desperately trying to think on my feet, so as not to alarm Melanie in any way, and it seemed to have worked as she continued with the viewing. But inside, I was all over the place. I was in two minds whether to tell Becky what had been going on, or to just simply get rid of that cross. I was totally convinced that it had something to do with all of these strange events, and I was beginning to think that it was cursed in some way. I realise that sounds completely ridiculous, but unless you've experienced this, you simply just don't understand. The dreams continued, and feelings of being watched and followed became more and more intense. I felt that I was slowly becoming a nervous wreck, but it was an innocent Friday evening a few weeks later that turned everything on its head. We were in our local pub having a few drinks with Becky's ghost-hunting friends, when we all decided to go back to Vicky's house to carry on with our little drinking session. Everyone was really having a great time, and it was a welcome relief to finally enjoy myself for a few hours. We'd all gathered in the living room and Vicky turned the lights off and lit some candles. With us all being a little bit tipsy, she said that we should conduct a seance to see if we could communicate with the other side. I wasn't very keen at all after what had been going on, So I made my excuses and decided to sit in an armchair with a cold can of cider and watch the proceedings from there. One of the group who was there with us at the cemetery was a woman called Hannah. 
and she was the one with the crystal ball. She was apparently into crystal healing, tarot cards, and had a bit of a reputation as a psychic medium. I must admit that I didn't believe any of it. Until that night. They all joined hands and sat on cushions on the floor around a coffee table, and Hannah began the seance by reciting a protection prayer, as she called it. She asked everyone to close their eyes and clear their minds of all thoughts, and then focus on imagining a bright ball of light in the centre of the room. Then she asked if anyone from the spirit world would come into the light and communicate with the group, using her as a vessel to speak through. I think at this point I did slightly roll my eyes and think to myself, what a load of rubbish. Some more talk came from Hannah asking the spirits not to be afraid, to come forward and make contact. Then the strangest thing happened. Hannah said something along the lines of, there's a woman coming through from the world of spirit. She's dressed all in blue with a beautiful brooch on the lapel of her jacket. She doesn't seem happy. She looks distressed. Something's troubling her. I honestly couldn't believe what I was hearing. This was the same woman who'd come to view that house. There was absolutely no way that Hannah or anyone else would have known about that. I leaned forward, totally intrigued but at the same time quite frightened. Hannah asked if any of the group had any questions and one of them asked the spirit why was she so troubled. Hannah then replied that the spirit told her that something of great personal value had been taken and she wanted it returned. Hannah then commented that this spirit was becoming very angry and she wasn't comfortable with continuing this seance. Then Hannah stopped talking and looked straight at me and in a voice that quite simply wasn't hers said, It's you. Bring the cross back. Everyone in that room was petrified. Whether you were a believer or not, what happened in that room defied rational explanation. Hannah snapped out of whatever had taken her over and closed the session. Then all eyes turned to me. Becky asked what the hell was all that about? Why would Hannah be saying something like that to me? What had I done? I came clean about taking the cross from the cemetery and to say that none of them were happy... Well, that was an understatement. I told them about what I had been experiencing and Becky made the comment that I should have just told her what had been going on. Hannah commented that she couldn't believe that I'd taken something from such a sensitive site and under no circumstance should anything be removed from a place where they investigate. In a way, I tried to argue that they needed to see this from my point of view as well. I had no idea that taking something from a cemetery that was just innocently lying on the ground would have these kinds of ramifications. I didn't really believe. I was just there to have a bit of fun and to experience what they did when they went ghost hunting. All of them said that I should return the cross back to the exact place I found it and hope that this would put an end to all the strange happenings. The next evening, just Becky and myself drove out to the cemetery with the cross. We walked over to the pathway where I'd found it on the ground and I took it out of my pocket and placed it back onto the floor. Maybe you should say a few words, Becky said. So I just said that I was sorry for taking the cross and I apologised for any hurt that I had caused. Then for some reason we both said the Lord's Prayer 
We started to make our way back to the car when, for some reason, I turned around to look back at the pathway. And there she was. The woman dressed in blue. I pulled on Becky's arm and told her to look at the woman. But she couldn't see her. I could see her clear as day. And I pointed again. Look, there she is. But Becky was adamant that there was nobody there. I said again, surely you can see her. She's right. But she'd gone. Was this confirmation that she had found peace? Had I done the right thing? Since that day, I've been out on a number of investigations and ghost hunts with the group. And while I'm much more open-minded about the paranormal, I've had no more strange experiences happen. But I make a point of never removing any item from a site we visit. It's just not worth the risk. Well, that brings us to the end of this special episode, and this should serve as a warning to anyone who takes part in a paranormal investigation or a ghost hunt. Never take anything from an allegedly haunted location or sacred site. Never take what isn't yours. You simply never know what the consequences will be.